You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon, this is In Psychedelia, uh, broadcast out of 3CR's studios here in Fitzroy, Melbourne, Australia. It's the first day of autumn today and um, opened the door this morning, got a waft of quite warm air, um, but um, I, I don't know, that's what happens. Uh, my name is Nick, on this program we do discuss all things uh, drug policy, drug culture, drug research, science, all the things that are going on uh, here in Melbourne and around the world. And there was an exciting annou- announcement uh, this week that the International Harm Reduction Conference is coming to Melbourne next year and um, Harm Reduction Victoria, our local uh, uh, peer-based drug user organisation, uh, is one of the main uh, hosts of that. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that over the coming year or so because uh, uh, people from all across the world uh, from the harm reduction movement will be coming to Melbourne for that event. Uh, so that's rather exciting. Uh, Ash is sitting uh, with me in the studio and also thank you very much to Freedom of Species who will be back next week from 1pm, uh, their podcast and... And lots of information about their show available at the 3CR website uh, and at their own website and social media. Don't forget, all the shows on 3CR uh, have other ways that you can engage with them and engage with the things that you hear about on radio or on the podcast if you're listening to a podcast version of this show. Uh, but we do need your support and you can subscribe. Uh, you can donate anytime. We run uh, specific times when we really call for it. But really, if you are able to support us, Head to the website 3cr.org.au and you can donate and you can become a sponsor and uh, subscribe to the show, uh, subscribe to 3CR and help keep community radio alive. Ash, how are you going? Very good, very good. Exciting show today in line with the, uh, I guess, the announcement of the International Harm Reduction Conference coming here. We are speaking to some international harm reduction heroes. Um, so we've got a bit of an international focus today. We'll be hearing an interview with Sasani from the Netherlands talking about the Unity Project there that um, does outreach in, I guess, the dance and nightlife community. Also going to be uh, catching up with uh, Professor Monique Marks. Uh, Monique is a uh, professor at the Durban University of Technology on the east coast of South Africa. Uh, she is a sociologist, um, but particularly interested in some of the um, critical issues that uh, go along with uh, drug issues. Um, and she pointed out to us when we caught up with her earlier this week uh, that uh, in South Africa, a lot of drug policy is dominated by the health field. And that can be a bit of a problem because they're focusing on, I think health people can often see the, like they're focusing on a mechanical issue. It's, it's, a, it's an issue of the mechanics. If you change the inputs and the outputs, then this is, you know, you'll get an outcome. Um, but we know that people are a lot more complicated than that and that these issues um, do take um, uh, cultural dimensions as well. Um, and that's something that maybe we can miss sometimes, especially if it's a culture that speaks English as well. Um, maybe we might be a little bit, we might not notice as much. Although I kind of forget that's, that about South Africa. It's, well, it's here as well. I mean, I've heard people criticise that when people um, kind of make, make the catch cry to shift drugs from a police-based issue to a health-based issue. Hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's sort of people in the drug-using community and harm-reduction community, they're like, oh, great. So instead of being... Um, bad we're we're sick thank you exactly (laughs) and that's just not the reality for some people who use drugs 
Yeah, that's and that's right because it is such a uh, you know at, at its core there are there are some people who still believe that drug free is uh, the optimal state and it is the state that we should pu- be pushing everyone towards at all times and I just think that's not the sort of thing we should decide on a universal scale for uh, seven billion humans we should probably be listening <laughs> to what people are actually saying about their complex lives and their own choices and things like that and yes some people um, will never want to touch any drug um there's whole religions based around, <laughs> around that sort of thing uh, in fact and um and maybe that's a little bit too far because some drugs are super useful you know like well, anesthetics there's, there's other religions and spiritual cultures that are kind of the inverse of that where psychedelic substances are the sacred and spiritual heart of um their belief system the first person we're going to be hearing from is um professor monique marx and she uh she touches on some of the racial uh racially sort of um uh not not charged it's it's the perception it's the attachment of race and then attaching a certain drug or a certain kind of behavior uh, associated with a drug to a certain race um but uh, and seeing that that attack through the uh, mainstream media in South Africa um and she doesn't talk about this but I did come across uh a incident last year about 6 months ago uh where so the rasta community is huge in South Africa and taken quite seriously they'll go out they'll protest it's a, it's a ser- it's a full serious religion um in South Africa with cannabis um being one of its sort of core sacraments uh and the uh, they're sort of equivalent of the Herald Sun in in um uh, Saint, uh in Johannesburg um, wrote a particularly scathing piece calling him basically a lazy stoner, the, the guy that heads up the Rasta community there, uh, and they hit the streets and they uh, they protested and they said, uh, you know, this is not acceptable, you need to retract that. And they did. They apologised. The person who wrote that initial piece actually uh, apologised to them. And that I don't think that's the sort of thing we'd see in Australia. I can't, can't imagine uh, any scenario where that sort of thing would happen. There was the uh, famous case of Gareth... Prince, a Rastafarian in South Africa who challenged their cannabis laws in the, um, I think it was the Supreme Court or the High Court? The Constitutional Court. So the, the big one that interprets mm. the Constitution and actually won that case in, in 2018. What, so, what was the result? Uh, that Rastafarians can consume cannabis. Wow. Uh, I think his, like, I'd have to look more at the details, but I think it was specifically around, because he was a lawyer and I think he got um, sanctioned for cannabis use and challenged it as a spiritual part of his life and won that because of the way that the South African constitution is written. I wonder if it's the same guy. I didn't catch the name of the guy. Maybe we'll look that up, but we'll hear from um, Professor Monique Marks. Uh, Before that, though, uh, from the ACT, it's Peking Duck, who are right now touring in Japan. Uh, And this is their song, Wasted, and I'm playing this song because I was watching the video clip and I'm like, hang on a minute, I think... I think I've been wasted in those areas before. The, the video, <laughs> the video clips filmed in uh, back streets of Fitzroy. So uh, yeah, pretty familiar. Peking duck on three CR.
I'm sitting in the Jasper Hotel on Elizabeth Street uh, in Melbourne. I believe it's the Jasper Hotel. Yeah. Uh, alongside uh, Lily from Harm Reduction Victoria and uh, Monique Marks, who is a professor at Durban University uh, in Durban in South Africa. Uh, yeah. Monique, welcome. Thank you. Um, so you're in Australia right now. Mm. What did you come here for? Uh, a combination of things. Um, I came here because my son, Gabriel, is going to be studying at the University of Melbourne. Um, having said that, there were other reasons for coming too, right? So the one was, you know, to make contact with the Harm Reduction Network here in Victoria, which was great, and also to give a talk at um, Monash University, uh, which was not really about drugs or drug use, it was really about something which fascinates me as well and actually does have bearing on this and it's uh, it's about the problem with walls and with walls. walls both being physical and metaphysical mm. and uh, so that's something that really interests me a lot um, because I think that you know the the physical walls that we build which exclude people in a variety of different ways um, by saying you know stay out um, are informed by the metaphysical walls which we have and, and that's usually in relation to people that we, that we see as not deserving of access into particular spaces. So anyway, that just gives you an idea broadly, the, the sociologically. Uh, so you're, you're a criminologist as well, is that right? Yeah. Or you've got to, do you have a few different um, academic hats that you've uh, collected along the, along the years? Okay, so I'm trained initially in social work, so I'm yep. a social worker by, by training. I have a doctorate in sociology, but I write primarily in the area of criminology. How my interest really began in relation to drug use was in trying to make sense of the policing of drug use. Um, so sitting in the back of police vans for large amounts of time and observing how people who use drugs were policed. Um, and from there, realizing that there was a big problem and uh, that law enforcement was, I suppose, making the problem worse. But also realizing as people were coming into the back of police vans that there were a whole lot of services that were not available to, to people who were street living or from low income backgrounds who, who required services that, that, that just weren't there. So in Durban, in South Africa, mm. paint us a picture. Okay, so the policing uh, is interesting. The policing is works within the confines of, you know, illegal drug use, um, and because the performance management in South Africa is very much around arrest rates, uh, what happens is that the police tend to make a large amount of arrests of people who use drugs who are living on the street or who are living in low-income backgrounds because um, they're easy arrests, to be honest. Um, however, when you spend time with police, you begin to realise that it's not as simple as that. Like, often police feel very, very conflicted about the way that they're responding to um, issues like drug use, uh, especially minor possession and use. Um, and so often what happens is they'll arrest somebody or they'll, well, they'll take them in, but they won't process um, the arrest because they recognize themselves that it's a waste of time. So it's not that simple. You know, police discretion comes in at various different levels, both at the point of whether to arrest or not, and then whether to proceed with criminal is charges. That, is that something which is kind of um, by, you know, kind of written into the, the codes of conduct, or is that that's just, that's just how the police kind of get no, by with what they do? Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's the... 
you know, that's always the sort of uh, gray section between, you know, enforcing the law and not enforcing the law becomes this, is this issue of discretion, which yeah. is always available to police, right? As it is to any other professions, actually. You yeah. know, whether a doctor prescribes medication when you go with flu or not, it's his discretionary or her discretionary um, ambit, you know. And so mm. police have a lot of discretion yeah. um, in the work that they do, uh, particularly when they are working... Um, in pairs rather than in large groups, you know, then, then discretion is used a lot. So anyway, so that's, that's sort of how the journey began. Um, to go back to your question around drug use in, in South Africa, it's, it's definitely something which we have become more aware of in the last 10 years. That doesn't mean that it was happening less before that. So depending on whether you, you accept cannabis use as drug use or not, uh, cannabis use is very widespread in South Africa and always has been, right? Uh, for a whole lot of reasons, um, used traditionally, but also uh, it's one of the major crops uh, in some of the the more outlying areas in, in South Africa, particularly in, in KwaZulu-Natal, which is the area that I come from. Um, what we have had in the last 10 years is a definite increase in the use of opiates. And, um, and that is only now being recognized by government as a serious, as a serious growing problem. But what about things like um, so, so methamphetamine, so yeah. pee and ice and stuff like yeah. that? So that, that, that exists, but that is sort of something which is very particular to the Western Cape. It does exist in other places as well, but, but not in the same way that it does in the Western Cape. So in the rest of the country now, I would say that the drug of choice would probably be some form of heroin, mostly brown right. heroin. And and just to clarify that, so that's mainly smoked rather than injected. Right. But the levels of injecting are increasing. So so it's predominantly smoked, but, but not exclusively. So does that... Um so you say this has only sort of recently come to the attention mm -hmm. of uh, those looking to, to respond to that mm -hmm. as, a, as a, a health issue. Yeah. Uh, what, where, where is that conversation at? Uh, what has been done so far okay. to respond? So, so currently there are no, not, there are no harm reduction state so uh, state services uh, needle and syringe program for example no. so not even that nothing right so 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 in south africa so absolutely there are there are zero harm reduction services that, in terms of state delivered services mm. none there's no gray here the only place where where it's a little bit different is in a city called pretoria where the university has been running a sort of program around substance use and has got funding from the city of pretoria and that does include an OST component, which so is uh, opiate substitution opiate therapy. Substitution therapy. So that, that that is that is the one, if you want to call it, state sort of um, uh, intervention, um, which is is sort of harm reduction focused. And there's one hospital in Cape Town which does very minimal. Um, use of opiate substitutes, but mainly for the purposes of so-called detoxification. So what are um, infection rates of things like HIV, Hep C, Hep C like in South Hep Africa? It's, okay, so, all right. uh, so just to continue, there are harm reduction services in South Africa, but they're all given by the NGO sector. So, right. so, th so they do exist, um, predominantly by, by TB HIV care. 
who runs most of the uh, needle syringe programs, and then the opiate substitution therapy programs, which are in Johannesburg, Cape Town, Pretoria, and Durban, mostly demonstration projects, are also run uh, mostly by the NGO world together with universities such as the Durban University of Technology or Pretoria University. Are they able to do their work without interference from authorities? Uh, yes, yep. pretty much. Okay. So. The, the opiate substitution therapy, yes. Yep. The needle syringe program, no. Right. So the needle syringe programs are constantly under threat. Um, and in Durban, the needle syringe program has been closed down for the past two years. Is this because uh, a needle and syringe program uh, is enabling people to take drugs? Is this the sort of yeah. argument? Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a the belief that that if you provide clean needles and syringes, you you encouraging injecting drug use, but also because people are concerned about the safe. Um, disposal of needles and syringes. So, so, so the sort of moral panic emerged when there was a tidal wave and there were a whole lot of needles and syringes that were found on the beach front. And that, that was then blamed on TBHIV Care, who were the providers of the needle syringe program. Mm. Whether, in fact, that is where the needles and syringes come from, we don't know, because there's a medical hospital directly across the road, known for its very poor medical dispo waste disposal right. um, practices. But because the needles that were used were generic had generic syringes we couldn't differentiate between the ones that were mm. provided by TBHIV care and the ones and that were provided by the it's hospital. It's much easier to blame the druggies. Yeah, yeah. so that's what happened exactly. Right. So now what we've we've done and we're still waiting to sort of reenact the the needle syringe program in Durban which has now been given the go ahead by the city but has now been blocked by the Department of Health. <laughs> But we have got the funders to change the colour of the syringes so that it then makes the NGO more accountable to government yeah. and the government not so much able to blame the NGO world for everything that goes wrong yeah. in relation how was, to that. How did that kind of happen? Um, mm. were, they, were they receptive to that idea? Yeah. So that yeah. happened quite quickly and easily? The, the donors. Yeah, the, color, the changing the yeah. colour of the needles. Yeah, I mean, I think like because it reached such a desperate point, yeah. it, you know, it took some negotiation. Yeah. But uh, we now have bright pink needles. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's to protect donors, the NGOs, and ultimately government. Yeah. You know, because as much as we, you know, that we, we can blame government for, for some of the things like closing a needle syringe program, we do also have to recognize that when something like that happens, you know, the public will immediately go to government, to local government, Absolutely. and say, why is this happening? Yeah. And why are you not regulating this? Uh, mm. particular organisation doing what they're doing. So the buck does stop at the level of government. And uh, and so as much as there's a lot of antagonism, or there was a lot of antagonism yeah. between us as harm reduction activists and local government, mm -hmm. uh, we've had to work with local government in trying to sense-make what, what, what happened. I would imagine that would give you some great information as well. So I mean, yeah. that would give you great trackability and extra yeah. you know, data about, yeah. about you know, if you, whether or not you are finding needles, which yes. is a really yes. useful piece of yes. information. No, it absolutely is. Yeah. You know, I mean, because you know, the truth of the matter is, and we don't like to talk about this, but I think we have to, yeah. is that often you know, people are not responsible in their disposal. And I think that it's really important that we begin to sort of create a new sensibility amongst people who are using that service to say yeah. this is a service that you need to you know, respect. And, and, and respecting that means you know, doing stuff that doesn't threaten the mm. potential ongoing um, <coughs> implementation. So mm. I think that has to, you're right, I think mm. that's really important. Mm. So it's, you know, what comes, what seems negative may actually have positive mm. spin-offs. Yeah. Um, and I think 
what has happened certainly is with the closure of the program is it's also made the user community much more conscious of the benefits that they were receiving from the NGO world and I think somewhat more appreciative. So I think like, you know, these are things that, that we have to factor in as a sort of unintended consequences of something which is not great, you know, because the infection rates have increased quite significantly within the injecting drug use community. Um, so we do know that the hepatitis levels are, are on the increase. I think they're roughly 80% now of injecting drug users right. have hepatitis C. I think comparatively, what are the rates in, I, I think, think it's 20 or something? Yeah, it's very low. And particularly, yeah. um, you know, with excess of treatment in Australia, mm. so that's, that's definitely on the decrease. Yeah. So yeah. I agree. Like, I don't know what the rates are, but I yeah. think, that's, I think it's yeah. around 20% or lower. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Tune in to 3CR on March 8th as we dish up another feast of radical ideas to end gender inequality. Centering the voices of First Nations, refugee, migrant women and gender-diverse people. Challenging liberal and corporate feminisms in discussions on sovereignty, workers' rights, nuclear disarmament, environmental justice, animal rights, as well as music and performance. From 11pm Saturday, March 7 to midnight Sunday, March 8 on 3CR Digital, 8.55am and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Check the website for more details. Roasting the Patriarchy. Recipes for dismantling the system. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 8.55am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. This is Psychedelia, and right now you're listening to a conversation that was recorded uh, with myself and Lily from Harm Reduction Victoria uh, earlier this week with Professor Monique Marks from Durban University on the east coast of South Africa. We got on to talking about the specific drug issues that exist in South Africa, uh, how they differ from what we might be more familiar with in Australia, and uh, what the harm reduction response is there. Uh, because harm reduction is a vexed issue uh, globally. Some countries take it on board uh, very proactively and will engage uh, in creating policy and funding for these services, and other countries, not so much. No, because South Africa is such a highly racialized society, what happens is that people very quickly attach a social problem to a particular race group. So what's happened, uh, you know, for example, if you're looking at, at people who use meth, that would be identified strongly with, with people that are mixed race, which come from the Western Cape. If you're looking at, like, people who use heroin, particularly people who smoke heroin, that would be seen as something which is predominantly amongst black African people. I think what we what we would prefer to do is to try and de-link the sort of racialized way of understanding 
particular forms of drug use or any drug use. And, um, and so in the demonstration projects, they've been fairly diverse in terms of uh, what I would call ethnicity and religion. Uh, and that's because drug use really doesn't discriminate. Mm. And what we've yeah. seen, you know, to be honest, is there is, there is a cultural taboo, I would say, um, around injecting in sort of the African townships, black African townships, but that's changing too, right? And so so these things are never, they're never stable, they're always fluid, they depend on, you know, how groupings are formed and when pricing, you know, changes. Currently, I think, you know, for some people, actually injecting is cheaper than, than smoking, so the pricing will also affect the modalities um, and will also bring about its own cultural change as that begins to happen. So, so it, it's best that we de-link that, you know, because I think the way that it's understood at the moment, say, for example, in a place like Durban, is actually the people that are more difficult to work with in terms of, for example, OST, are white drug users, if you want to call them that, because they're the people that inject. Um, and and for me, that's a really uncomfortable way to understand things, you know, because what happens with the drug use community, and we shouldn't take this away from them, is that there's a sort of cohesion that exists that doesn't see those kinds of divides that we do. And in that way, I think we need to learn from the drug use community to take ourselves out of this sort of need to disaggregate um, in ways that actually don't make sense to the drug use community and say, okay, this is this is a problem that permeates all, you know, all different divides. And I think the other one, which, which I feel really strongly about, is to, you know, stop seeing this as a working class underclass issue mm. and to really understand that this is a middle class phenomenon mm. it may look different in the middle class but it's the same you know actually this morning I woke up the first thing I woke up to was a student at another university a postgraduate student I think doing a PhD writing to me to say look I'm in a serious I'm having a serious problem with, with heroin and um, and the, and I cannot get hold of any medication to assist. This was the mm. first message I got when I woke up this morning. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. Now, he's writing to me as somebody at another university. I'm not even at the same university as him. But obviously, like, somewhere along the line, there's profiling of people like myself who are, you know, seen to be in some way involved in providing some treatment or other, which of course we're not because it was a demonstration project, but at least can advise around that. Now, he's not a working class person. Whatever his roots may be, Mm. it doesn't really matter. But he's stuck in a situation like everybody else and is as equally unable to access treatment as anybody else would be. So so these are the things that I'm constantly made aware of. and then, of course, there's the, the very false distinction between illicit and illicit drugs. You know, when a lot of people are struggling with opiate use uh, disorders that are illicit uh, and are not that different from people that are struggling with illicit drug use. So, you know, we make these distinctions all the time. We need to stop doing that, mm. you know. And um, th- that's just my perspective. Because the more we, we break down those barriers, and that's where the walls come up again, mm. the more we begin to get people beginning to relate to each other in a much more human way and say, okay, like, you know what, I'm using benzoids to go to sleep every night. Uh, how different is that from your dependence on other forms of opiates, right? Probably not that different because, it, you know, like, the, the dependency is much the same. And mm. what you would do to be able to supply yourself with that dependency is, is probably also a variety of forms of, you know, of 
finding loopholes in the system, which may not be legal either, mm. but are more acceptable. So anyway, yeah, that's a lot. I suppose like understanding that landscape really mm. clearly mm. is really important because mm. I'm aware of some of the stuff that you do is actually mm. about kind of moving towards different kinds of policy reform mm. and government and stuff yeah. like that. And so, yeah. the, so the thoroughness of understanding all the facets of that mm. landscape is so is, mm. yeah, helpful. Yeah, and towards those ends. Well, I think you know, just to like talk to that for a minute. What's happened is that we've left a lot of like drug policy stuff to people in the medical field, and I think that that's unfortunate because mm-hmm. I think the people that understand this best often are the social scientists. Yeah. you know, and so if you're trying to really understand the social dynamics and you know the pervasiveness and the impact. It's not necessarily the medical epidemiologists that are going to give you the answers. Yep. You know, it's the people that really understand, you know, how groups of people interact with one another and what meaning they give to the world around them. Mm. And and so I think, I think, what is positive in South Africa perhaps is that, you know, that we are coming together uh, in sort of advocacy, but also in in even in writing. Uh, people who come from a more medical background together with social scientists and trying to convey messages. Um, so I think you're right. Mm. You know? so it's like, yeah, forming a cohesive narrative, yeah. so sort of pulling yeah. in people to yeah. assist to form a narrative. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. I think we see a, a similar thing um, here as well, uh, where there, and this is my sort of non-academic-y perception mm. of it, but there seems to be um, a lot more people who get into that those kinds of fields because they have this urge to help people. Sure. And I think one of the issues um, with uh, going in trying to help somebody who uses drugs is they may not want any help sure. they may not want the help that you're offering mm-hmm. and if you're just trying to give them help rather mm-hmm. than ask them what they need mm-hmm. it's very prescriptive it, mm-hmm. it sets up a sure. authoritative relationship yeah. so yeah. it's you know the, the opposite of what yeah. needs to be done i think doctors sort of like operate like that they yeah. sort of want to give you commands you follow yeah uh, body is fixed yeah. mechanics done yeah. yeah no that's right that's yeah, absolutely that's right true. yeah um, um, um. But you know, the drug policy landscape at the moment in South Africa <coughs> is one that's supposed to be moving towards harm reduction, um, but hasn't in right. practice. So, so that's all under review. There's a whole new drug master plan that's supposed to be coming out. We don't have that yet, and so things are sort of stuck. Do you, do know, you have a, a date for when it's coming? Or it keeps soon? it keeps on being and it keeps you, on being pushed forward. Have you read any drafts of that or anything? Yeah, no, they have, we have read drafts, and they do look better than previous drug positive. policy. Yeah, but when it actually goes through it keeps getting pushed back yeah um we also have at the moment underway which is great um an ost um implementation guideline um that was supposed to be sort of finalized at the end of january i think it's still in process so things are very slow Mm. in south africa you know, we also don't have um, opiate substitutes on the essential medicine list, so that expensive. creates a whole very expensive. Mm. Yeah, so mm. they're expensive, and we can't then roll them out. And it's a, if and it's, it's cheaper to just buy drugs. It is cheaper, yeah. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because those things yeah. can be so preventive. I mean, they're, yeah. they're really supportive, so it's kind yeah. of about almost addressing those things at an yeah. early stage. And, it, and yeah. it's often funny because often the the politics of it is the mm. people that want these people gone the most most are the ones that will put up the most barriers to the solutions that will actually work and the ones who want policies that entrench the problem and make it 
worse sure is it in the political discussion yeah. Yeah. do you have yeah. uh, so I mean you said it's going slowly so obviously there is some some progress in it but yeah. is there uh, has there, I don't know what the election cycle is like in South yeah. Africa or who's in charge at the moment but is it is it something that is is continuing to progress or are you concerned about like the well the I mean there, there's, some, there's some things that will progress like I think OST will progress um, and I think that's because uh, the demonstration projects with opiate substitution therapy which have happened in all of the major cities Durban being the first one have been really really successful in terms of their retention rates which is the measure that we use at the moment we can't measure it on long term success because what happens is once people are off OST you know then things fall apart and that's not a failure of the program it's actually the success of the program because people were doing so well on OST Um, and I think government understands that uh, when it comes to things like needle syringe programs, much more complicated because public opinion is conservative. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that we have a government that is emerged from a liberation movement, right? So it's, there's a very populist dimension to, to mm-hmm. government. Um, and, uh, and, and although the government came from a very progressive history, it's become fairly conservative because of popular opinion. Mm. You know, so one of the first countries to to sort of uh, legalize um, gay marriages, to abolish the death penalty, unlike the US, for example, mm. and so on. But the public opinion now is we need the death penalty because crime is so high and so on and so forth. It seems now, to be a global phenomenon. It's a global <laughs> phenomenon, yeah. It won't happen because constitutionally that's protected, yeah. right? But, you know, and, and, and we're very fortunate to have the constitution that we do I don't think it's activated as much as it should be and it probably could have been, for example, the closure of the needle syringe program and hasn't been because that takes years to win those kinds of cases. Mm. Um, But, you know, what we are trying to do, you know, there are still progressive people in government. So we look for sort of government activists Mm -hmm. and what we've been wanting to do is to try and get a lobby group within government that will push for more progressive uh, drug policy. Um, and uh, that's still underway. It's, it's, it's slow to happen because even within the African National Congress, which is the dominant party, the leading party in government, you know, there's a lot of factionalism. And so people are, are really afraid to sort of make a stand around more controversial that, policy. Yeah, I think that's when how these things get entrenched. The thing for me with, with, the, with any really um, public policy mm. thing is where the actual economic benefit in the longer yeah. term is yeah. to, to yeah. provide things like needle yeah. and syringe exchange yeah. and those sorts of things and I always find that really perplexing You're right. yeah. you know it's kind of like it might be morally mm. uncomfortable but from an economic point yeah. of view it actually makes a lot of sense no, and those policies still no. aren't picked up we do have the South African National People Who Use Drugs Network or the South African Network of People Who Use Drugs uh, it's not strong we do have the South African National People Who Use Drugs Network, or the South African Network of People Who Use Drugs. Uh, it's not strong, you know. Um, I think that there needs to be a whole lot of more programmatic planning mm. around what the network does. Um, and I think that, you know, certainly like people who are more active in the network are beginning to think about how do we develop sort of uh, harm reduction activists who are able to network with other like organizations who are able to sort of mobilize people in a way that doesn't just leave them 
uh, with nothing, but really allows him to feel very much part of a organization that is sort of functional and equipped, um, and also gives people the knowledge with which they can go out and speak to people without feeling uh, intimidated or feeling like what they're saying doesn't make sense. So I think that's, that, that, that will happen in the next couple of months. I'm feeling sort of more positive about that. Right. And then I think what's critical is to bring families on board that as well. Of course, yeah. Uh, where we have done a lot of work, which has been really useful, and again, this is in Durban, um, is to bring together faith-based organizations to talk mm. about issues of, of drug use. Mm. And the last time we did this, it was really powerful because two out of the four faith-based leaders had within their families people who had a serious drug use issue. Uh, the one, the rabbi who was there, his, his son had actually died of an overdose. So, you know, being able to talk to publics and say this is mm. something that as a faith-based leader we we understand, we've experienced ourselves, mm. we don't judge, you can speak to us, you can talk openly about this without feeling that there's shame is very important because South Africa is a country where people sort of take religion very seriously. It's important to move beyond sort of the idea that they're necessarily conservative yes. and work productively with them. So that's that's critically important as well. You know, it's much more difficult to talk about drug use than it is with others. These are really important conversations that we should be facilitating. But they have to be, you know, they have to be sort of ground level activists that are doing this kind of work Absolutely. in a very informed way before we finish up today uh if people want to find out about your work is there somewhere mm -hmm. online that you uh, have articles published or anything like that well i think a good place to begin is to look at the, uh, the web page called drug policy week which has a lot of stuff on it which is really largely organized by sean shelley okay. uh it's easy to find stuff you know, by myself, because you just go into Google Scholar and those things will just appear I anyway. Did, yeah, found that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's always the easiest way to do it. And sure. then, you know, TBHIVK also is a good resource for finding information on South Africa in relation to, to drug use. But Drug Policy Week, simply look for that, Drug Policy Week. Thank you very much sure. for chatting to us today and thanks for coming to the our big brown land. No, it's good to be here. I'll be back. And that's Professor Monique Marks, uh, who is head of the Urban Future Centre at the Durban University of Technology, uh, but has an interest in harm reduction uh, and works in harm reduction uh, in South Africa in the city of Durban. And she'll be back for the International Harm Reduction Conference, uh, but she told me she's going to be back before then because she loves Melbourne and spent three years here uh, a number of years ago. Uh, this is in Psychedelia on 3CR. And next up, we're going to be hearing from Sasani, a peer education worker with the harm reduction program Unity in the Netherlands. Unity is the Dutch harm reduction project. Um, it's a volunteer project and we work with peer educators. Um, so our volunteers educate their peers at dance events um, about safer drug use. Yeah, with Unity, uh, we're at festivals and dance events at night. And uh, sometimes we have a stand and people come to our stand and they can do a quiz. Uh, for example, what is ecstasy? And then they can test their knowledge. And yeah, after they did the quiz, one of our peer educators will check the answers and will uh, talk to them and have a conversation about the risks of uh, ecstasy and about how they use ecstasy, for example. And then uh, after the conversation, we always hand out a gadget and the gadget can be, uh, yeah, 
like a lip balm um, yeah or uh, yeah before we always gave lighters but we don't do that anymore um, yeah things like that and with our sleeping campaign we gave out sleeping masks because um, yeah it's very important for your health for your yeah if you want to sleep well you have to be um, you have to take care of your sleep hygiene and the sleeping mask can help with that in the festival space how does that work with other safety teams on site like medical and um, you know other other people working at the festival yeah so um, <clears throat> Yeah, Unity is, um, yeah, we inform people about safer drug use. Yeah. Um, there are the medics and the medics, um, yeah, are actually the next stop. So if someone is not feeling well, then we always send them to the medics. And we always know where the medics are based and the medics also know what, what we do and where, where we are based. Uh, so if people come to the medics and they have questions about drugs, then they send it, uh, yeah, they send those people to unity yeah. and vice versa and so you can sort of exchange information if you find out there's yeah. certain things happening at the festival that different drugs are there or some yeah potentially exactly things going on yeah, yeah. and um, yeah there are a few big medics uh, companies in Holland that are specialized in medics at dance events mm. um, yeah and yeah we work well together with them um, some of our volunteers uh, yeah so they they have spots for our volunteers to um, to like to do like an internship, um, like wow. a one day internship to see to see how things go uh, behind yeah behind the medical uh, service yeah <laughs> or at the med medical service um, yeah and the medics are actually really good in Holland like um, yeah because they're so professional and they have so much experience in the dance events field because we have so many dance events. Uh, the medics are, yeah, some of the medics, they also like to visit dance events mm -hmm. and they, yeah, so they're also young and um, young and professional. So they don't judge the people that come there and they, that took too many drugs, for example, mm -hmm. but they're really there to help, um, yeah, to help you when you're not feeling well. So for Unity, how does that, so we've talked about how it fits into the space at the festival, how does it fit into the broader policy framework of how, I guess, drugs are managed in, in Holland. Yeah, so Unity is um, executed by prevention departments of addiction care centers. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so what, uh, yeah, so with projects or programs as Unity, we try to prevent um, harm caused by alcohol or other drugs. And so we try to prevent incidents like passing out or having a bad trip uh, but of course also the long-term incidents like uh, getting addicted for example so something that um we discuss quite a bit in australia about the netherlands is your long-standing tradition of drug checking and quite a comprehensive service that kind of covers the country with that um, how does Unity kind of relate to that drug checking service? Because they kind of service a similar community. Yeah. Um, so our drug checking service is, um, yeah, it's organized nationally. Um, Unity is as well. Um, Unity is executed by the prevention programs of addiction care centers and the drug checking service is that as well. But the drug checking services and Unity are separate programs. Mm. Um, but 
the members, yeah, the staff that works at Unity, most of them also work at the drug checking services. So, um, yeah, so we work well. Yeah, how do you say that? <laughs> um, so it's integrated very well. Yeah. You know, and at some yeah. uh, locations, some of our volunteers also work at the drug checking service and they educate the, the people that come to the drug checking service. Yeah, but it's not, there are more drug checking services in Holland than there are uh, Unity regions. Mm. Right, right. So you could refer people to them or maybe they could point people towards you for resources and things like that. Yeah. But you kind of sit in separate rooms, separate buildings sort of. Yeah, thing. so those are those are actually separate projects, but because we work, was, yeah, so... Okay, let me rephrase that. Uh, the drug checking service and Unity are separate programs from the uh, prevention departments of the addiction care centers. But because, um, yeah, the people that work at Unity also work at the drug checking service. Yeah, they are. We are all well updated about the mm. latest issues that are happening on the drug market. Yeah, because um, the way that the way that the drug checking service is there almost encourage uh, uh, consideration of your drug use before you go to the event. So the services don't operate on site. We don't do drug checking services on site because the main goal for drug checking is to monitor the Dutch drug market. And the additional benefit for the user is that they know what their drug contains. Mm. But the main goal for the government is actually to know what's on the drug market. So if there are polluted drugs, then we can warn for them. Mm. And have there been any recent changes in drug trends or risks over the last couple of years, like things that have popped up or that are newly emerging? Mm, well, the drug, the Dutch drug market is kind of stable, so mm. we have really strong drugs actually. Um, but what we see is that, yeah, I think the same goes for here, like press pills are really strong and vary a lot in their dosage. Um, so it's, yeah, it's hard to say uh, what the average dose of a press pill is because it, it just varies. So mm. the only way to know what, what your drugs contain is to go to the drug checking service so you can adjust your dose. We were talking before about the sleeping campaign. Could you tell us a little bit about what Unity's sleeping campaign is? So Unity also has an advisory committee. And our advisory committee consists of people that work in the in nightlife settings. Um, so people like uh, that work at medic companies, security companies, um, journalists. Uh, we have a behavioral scientist. We have organizers of dance events. And at one day we were discussing about the festival culture that was changing. Um, yeah, so the festival culture changed from only one-day festivals to more more and more multi-day festivals. Um, yeah, and what changed was also the type of incidents that happened. And we discussed that we, that uh, the reason for that was probably the lack of sleep that people had. Because, yeah, when you're at a festival campsite, it can be hard to sleep if there's too much going on. And if people have used stimulants or have drank too much alcohol, they... Yeah, they sleep, they won't sleep or they, their, the quality of their sleep will be less. Um, yeah, so what we did was, um, yeah, 
finding out more about sleeping. And we had an intern. Um, she did a research for us. Uh, she dove into the literature of sleeping and she found out, um, well, she tried to get all the information that was known um, about how certain, how certain drugs affect the sleep, but also why it's so important for us to sleep and what happens during your sleep. Um, yeah, and with that information, we made a new sleeping campaign. So we made quizzes about sleep. We educated our peer educators about uh, the importance of sleep. And um, yeah, and we went to the festival campings with this campaign. That's an interesting way of like a really scientific approach to try and target the problem. Yeah. Um, is there then follow-up from this program to see if it's been effective? Yeah, so um, the intern that did her internship, she did it actually for Project Party Safely, um, which is another project at our prevention department. Um, and uh, one of the things that Project does is yeah, research and we have this research, it's called Party Panel and Party Panel consists of party people. Um, yeah, and we ask them a lot of questions um, because it's always re really hard to find out why people behave like they do because, yeah, they won't, they won't tell you why they do that because they, some people don't know why they do that. Yeah, so. It's just part of their routine. It's yeah. just what they do. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's really hard to measure those kinds of behavior. Uh, so that intern, she, um, yeah, she made a questionnaire. Um, yeah, and we send it to the party panel. And with the results of the party panel, we'll, we will improve the sleeping campaign next year. Maybe one more question? Yeah. So why did you get involved in harm reduction? What brought you to it? Um, yeah, I, I really like parties <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I feel like people have the right to enjoy life to the fullest. Um, yeah, and drugs can be part of it, but you have to know what you take. So that's why, why I, I think harm reduction work is very important. I mean, everybody should know for themselves what they want or what they don't want to do in life. But if you choose to do drugs, then make sure you know the risks and how to prevent them. It's a good message to leave it on. <laughs> All right. We've been talking with Sasani from Unity, a peer-to-peer -peer harm reduction program uh, in Holland, and she works out of Amsterdam. Thanks for joining us on Encyclopedia. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that was an interview with Sasani from the Netherlands and the Unity project there. Uh, events tomorrow is the Yarra Drug Health Forum uh, annual community uh, meeting. That's at 12.30 at Richmond Town Hall, 12.30 till 2 o'clock. Um, there's some snacks uh, and nibblies provided. Uh, and Dave Taylor, who's the policy and media person for uh, VADA, the Victorian Alcohol and Drug Association, uh, will be speaking uh, there about um, uh, public opinion crime and justice uh, alongside doc, uh, Dr. Karen Gelb, consultant criminologist and lecturer at the University of Melbourne, uh, discussing the interaction between public opinion, crime and justice in modern Australia, and uh, drawing some implications for harm reduction. This has been in Psychedelia on 3CR. Uh, please do check out the website and our social media. We'll be putting up a video of that interview with uh, Professor Monique Marks from South Africa earlier in the show. More video content are going up there soon as well. Queering the Air is up next on in Psychedelia. Enjoy the first day of autumn. See you later. 
This is In Psychedelia. Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website. 3cr.org.au and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, Direct Line provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear In Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.